Good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Mark, and this is E3, and just uh, so happy that you all are here today on this uh, long, long weekend. As you know, if you've uh, come to E3 for any length of time, you know that in between uh, series, we, we do communion, worship and communion, and uh, so we're going to be doing that today, but I wanted to share with you uh, just some uh, things that have been on my heart and on my mind that I that have kind of come together this week that I think really just kind of ushers us into really the meaning behind the table. Like why having communion, why remembering the blood that Jesus spilt and the body that he broke for us, for our transgressions is so important. So just to let you know, one of the kind of uh, in my social networking and on, on Facebook, a lot of times I, I get uh, tagged in a post, hey, Pastor Mark, you know, uh, I have a friend says this, what do you think? And, and that actually happened this week and it, and it, it kind of really fed into kind of what we were talking about today. And in that post, uh, somebody at our church uh, uh, wrote, hey, Pastor Mark, uh, I have a friend who's, who, you know, talking about tattoos and, and is that a sin? You know, and, and talking about, their, you know, do we have to adhere, basically just boiling it down, do we have to adhere to the Old Testament law, the 613 laws of Moses, or are we under grace? And, and I can't tell you how often these types of questions come up. The, the question is, hey, Pastor Mark, is this a sin? And then as soon as that happens, everybody starts taking sides. And this is nothing new. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Eric, while we were in uh, the book of Philippians, he was talking about the Judaizers, right? You guys remember that? And Judaizers were, were Christians who said, yes, you had to adhere to the 613 laws of Moses in order to be a good Christian. And then uh, Paul was uh, talking in all the struggle of just like, okay, well, how do, how do we balance works with grace and all of these kind of different things? So uh, several years ago, we did a series through the book of Galatians. And if you struggle with this, I want to really encourage you to go through the book of Galatians because Paul really talks about how the law and grace works together and what the purpose of the law was. And uh, we actually did a whole series called The Law of Grace, and it's on Vimeo. You can, you can Google it or go on Vimeo and, and watch the series, but it was really, really powerful. Uh, John Bickley and I also wrote a book, really, uh, focusing on this question of what is God's ideal and how do we live a life in the 21st century of relentlessly following Jesus and not falling subject to being enslaved once again to the law, but also not abusing grace. And as we uh, were having this conversation on Facebook, uh, one of the people who were engaged came up with the normal one, uh, and out of the King James Version, of course, they're saying that, hey, Jesus uh, did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. And and this is one of these things that it's like, yes, but do you understand what that means? Do you understand what it means that Jesus Christ came and fulfilled the law? 
the law which uh, showed us that we are sin, the law is that if those who sin die, and he fulfills the consequence of law by death on the cross. That's why we remember it in communion. And, and he came and fulfilled it, not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And then I uh, posted actually the scripture that I wanted to talk about, about today because this scripture is, is such a beautiful story in, in illuminating this, this tension between the law and grace. It's, uh, it's actually found in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And I'm actually going to talk about it in the Jewish oral tradition today, uh, but it is, it is in there. And, and the really kind of cool thing about this scripture is that for hundreds of years, in fact, for the first 300 years before the Council of Nicaea, that people tried to bury this section of Scripture, that, that men did not like how Jesus responded. It didn't fit with their paradigm, didn't fit with their theology. In fact, in a lot of our Bibles, it says that this Scripture isn't found in some of the oldest manuscripts, Greek manuscripts, and it was because so many people tried to suppress this. And I love this because one of my views of, of Scripture, the Scripture that we have, the 66 books of the Bible, and every word that's in it, that God preserved it for you and me, that it has been preserved and it is inspired and, and it is uh, worthy and, and helpful in correcting us and teaching us and helping us live the ideal out that God has for our lives. And that, you know, that, that so many people tried to suppress this scripture and that it was so scandalous and that God went through supernatural lengths to preserve it for you and I, just, uh, I believe that there's amazing power in this scripture. So you may want to turn to your Bibles in, in John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. Again, I'm not going to uh, read it. I'm just going to tell, tell you the story. It's commonly known as the woman caught in adultery. So the, the story starts out that Jesus had come back from the Mount of Olives and that he was teaching at the temple that, that he normally did that this was a normal occurrence, that Jesus would go to the temple a lot of times in the morning and the night, and people would come and they would listen to him. Not, uh, not only just people, but also religious rulers uh, and also the Pharisees. Now, in the, in the, uh, the, coming up to the point in Jesus' life in this story, that, that uh, up until this point, the, the Pharisees and the religious rulers were trying to get Jesus on their team. Like he was a great teacher and everything. Was, you know, some of his theology and doctrine was a little, a little different, but, but they're like, hey, you know, come on, Jesus, get on our team. And it kind of switched in John chapter 7. In fact, you may remember uh, that they started trying to come up with things to trick Jesus. And they would use kind of the cultural and political and religious uh, happenings of the day to trip up Jesus. I don't know if you remember, there was this uh, one occurrence where they were trying to trip him up on taxes. And, and they're like, hey, Jesus, should we pay taxes? Should we not pay taxes? And he said, uh, let me see a coin. And he's like, uh, who's on the coin? And you remember what they said? 
Caesar. And then he said so brilliantly, give Caesar what is Caesar's. So this is a series of, of tricks to try to trip up the Messiah, to trip, trip up Jesus so he would lose credibility with people. So in the series of this, they'd come up with another scheme of one, and they really ramped it up. At, this, at the previous one, it wasn't going to destroy anybody except Jesus. But now they're willing to have collateral damage. So they found this woman caught in the act of adultery, and they brought her to the temple, and they threw her in front of Jesus. And they said, Jesus, they said, the law says that a woman caught in adultery, or a person actually caught in adultery, must be stoned to death. So here, that's the situation. You got Jesus with, with people listening to him. You know, he's talking about his stuff. And then the Pharisees put this woman. Now, think about it. Put yourself in your mind's eye there. What's missing? The guy. Exactly. Like, she wasn't caught in adultery by herself. I'm just saying, right? Like, there was somebody with her. So, for some reason, you know, it's like, okay, wait a second, where's the dude? And, he, you know, he's MIA, you know, did he get away? Did he, you know, and then the other question is, you know, I would imagine, I don't know, I'm not an adulterer, Happy to hear that, Shannon? Yeah. Uh, uh, but I'm just, I'm, adulterers usually don't commit adultery like on Capitol Circle or Thomasville Road or something like that, right? It's usually, I would imagine, okay, I'm not part of that world, but I've never seen it. Uh, so, so there's this other question is like, so why were you guys there? Right? Like, how did you technically catch her in the act of adultery? So we have this whole, you know, it's obviously a setup that the religious rulers, that the Pharisees are, are trying to set Jesus up. And they come up and they're like, the law of Moses says that she must be stoned. And now there's the religious aspect, but there's also the cultural aspect that Jesus has been talking about love and, and grace. So it, there's that aspect, but then there's also the political overtones that, that the Jews are conquered people by the Romans and that they, they're not allowed to stone people with, without getting an okay from, from the Roman Empire. So there's all of this going on. And it's really interesting to me that, that the religious rulers tried to frame this in the same way that, that people try to frame these questions today. They came to him and said, Jesus, here is somebody who broke the law of Moses. What are you going to do? Are you going to say the law doesn't matter, that God has no standards, that do whatever you want? Or are you going to say, yes, the law matters, and let's prosecute her to the nth degree of the law? And this happens all the time, and I believe it's a false question. It's a question that we are forced into all the time. People always say, you know, can I go to, you know, can I go to heaven if I do this? Can I do to go to heaven if I do that? Is this a sin? Is that a sin? Is this, this, this? And it, 
degrades the understanding of God's ideal. That the central idea of the cross is that God wants to give us the opportunity for a restored relationship with him and with each other and with his creation. And they've given him two choices. And what the really cool thing is that Jesus, in this point, gives us a third option. And his third option is this. And if you remember in the story, you gotta remember all these people around, he's being challenged. There's a woman who who has been torn out of, of her intimate situation and thrown into the public square disgraced, and what does he do? He leans down and he starts writing. Now, we don't know what he's writing in the sand. We don't know if he's drawing pictures. I don't know if he's, you know, doing emojis, you know, frowny face, you know. I don't, we don't know. We don't know if... He's drawing an eagle to remind them of that the Romans are in charge. We don't know what is going on, but we do know that whatever he is writing does not, is not impacting the Pharisees at all. They start grumbling and they start demanding an answer. And even though we don't know, and this is just the way I like to think about this, and it could be completely wrong. It may be right. But what I know of Jesus is Jesus corrects on a personal level. That Jesus came to die for you and I and me. That, that Jesus came to connect with us on a real level. And I like to think that he was actually writing her name. He was writing her true name. And what he was writing was not for the religious rulers. It was not for the crowd, but it was for her. Because these religious rulers were looking at her as, as an object to make a point. And what I think is true throughout of Scripture is that, that Jesus often takes this, this macro kind of religion and takes it down to the individual. And I just, I just imagine that he's writing and he's down on her level. She's been thrown his feet and he's just writing and maybe he writes it's gonna be okay. Maybe he writes it's her true name. We don't know, but what we do know is the Pharisees are having none of it and they start demanding an answer. What is it going to be, Jesus? What is it going to be? Are, you know, how, you know, are you going to condemn her or are you going to say that the law doesn't matter? And he stands up and he looks at them and he says these words. Those of you without sin cast the first stone. And then he goes back down and starts writing in the sand again. 
Now, again, we don't know what he was writing. But I think he started writing something different at this point. I think perhaps after he said that, he started writing, Rabbi Bob. was with a prostitute <laughs> there. And high priest Elton, he stole from the temple. I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. But what we do know is Scripture tells us from the oldest religious ruler and teacher and Pharisee to the youngest, they started leaving one by one. And I don't know if Rabbi Bob was the oldest one. He's like, oh, dang. <laughs> He's like, peace out, guys. Gotta go. You know, and then, you know, and Jesus start reveal it. And then... They went one by one. And then when they were all gone, again, this is just me and thinking about the story. I just imagine, you know, it says Jesus turned to the woman. And I imagine he helped her up. That uh, there's this beautiful imagery uh, and song in the Old Testament that, that talks, uh, talks about uh, uh, having our heads lifted up and and when a when a peasant would go into the king in ancient times, they would have their head down. If the king accepted them, they would lift their heads up. And I could just see him lifting her head up and then saying to you, to her, where are all your accusers? And she turns back to Jesus and says, they're all gone. And then he says to her, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. And I think that the, just the conclusion of this story where, where, where it goes from the macro and Jesus takes it to the micro and then he takes it back out to the macro in a correction and then brings it back to the micro of just a relationship between him in her, in her journey, in God's ideal for her. And, and through these words, express grace and love, but also express that, you know what? The life that you're experiencing is not the vision that God has for you. The what you're experiencing, what you're trying to, to experience through adultery, the, for, the, the acceptance and, and the safety and the security, that is not where you're going to find it. You're going to find it in a true relationship with me. And he says, go and sin no more. And a lot of people tried to erase this scripture to steal this beautiful picture of Jesus from us because of their presupposition of who Jesus was meant to be like, how we should be still slave to 
the law. And here I think that Jesus just so beautifully in such a little story, but such a powerful story shows us that, you know what? That Jesus' ideal for us is to relentlessly pursue him, to not pursue perfection on our own and not just to give ourselves into self-destructive behavior, but to relentlessly pursue his ideal for our lives so that we can experience the abundant life that he had came to allow us to experience. And this is what I would like to do. As you come up to the the table to partake in communion, I wanna do a couple of different things. I wanna first invite you, if you would like, to come to the table the sand. And Pastor Dan's going to be on one side and I'm going to be on the other, not looking at what you're writing or drawing or anything like that. But to give you the opportunity, if you want to, to write something down, maybe that's something that you've been struggling with, maybe holding on to. Maybe for Ever you've looked at God as this distant authoritarian God, and maybe for you it's just put your handprint in the sand just to remind you that, that as individualistic as your handprint and your fingerprints are, that you are individually and wonderfully made by God. Maybe it is to write something down and then with your own hand or with Pastor Dan and, or, or my help, wipe it clean is just a reminder that you are free, that Christ has come to offer us freedom, freedom because he's fulfilled the law by his sacrifice, but also freedom that we don't have to engage in self-destructive behavior. And after that, I'd like to challenge you guys to when you come to the table, you don't have to come to the, the, the sand pit if you don't want to, but when you come to the table, I'd like to invite you to actually make this a community experience, to not just take communion on your own, but make it an intimate experience to wait for somebody to serve you and then you serve someone else. And When you serve them, I want you to look them in the eye as an individual, as as somebody who who is trying to get through this life as best as they can, just like you, just like me, as somebody who is broken in desperate need of a Savior to stick up for us and look them in the eye and hand them their cup and hand them their, their bread and say, this is Christ's blood that was shed for you. And this is God's body that is broken for you. And do this in remembrance of him. Do this in remembrance that you are free.